In the second week of November 2021, about 50 postdoctoral researchers from institutions in Denmark and around the world joined the Danish Diabetes Academy Winter School for Postdocs in Malaga, Spain. During the winter school, they all took up a challenge to look outward. Outward from their own research projects, outward to investigate how academics and their science interact with various aspects of society. They each selected one of six topics. And together in small teams, they discussed and evaluated the current relationships around their topic, and then proposed how they might build a stronger bridge between scientists and society. We encourage them to find their voice, to dream big, to make a difference, but also to make choices. This is Postdocs Talking, a podcast about their challenges and solutions. Today we have Hannah Chatwin and Ufa Serholm here in the studio with us. Hannah and Ufa are advanced PhD students at the University of Southern Denmark. They're nearly postdocs. And we're going to hear more about the challenge topic they dedicated themselves to at the Winter School, Engaging People with Diabetes, Language Matters. And we'll hear what an expert in the area has to say about it. I'm your host, Gretchen Rapaski, and you're listening to Postdocs Talking. Hi, Hannah. Hi. Hi, Ufe. Hi. Welcome. It's really great to have you both here with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Well, this is a topic that might seem a bit distant in a way to some researchers. Tell us, why did you select this topic to to uh, focus on? Well, I think in some ways we're probably a bit biased, like from from the department that we're working in. So we both work in the Department of Psychology and we have one of our main supervisors is Jane Spade, who's a, a big advocate of of the importance of language um, in in the era of diabetes. So, I think during the last three years we've learned a lot mm. from from kind of the place we're already working and can really see the importance of this topic. And I think that was why when we, or at least when I saw it, that I thought this was a, a really interesting opportunity to discuss with people with a different background and, and see how they think that language mattered in, in so to say, their field of, of uh, research. So I, I think that was kind of my motivation for choosing that. A bit the same for me too, and also doing some qualitative research um, about people with diabetes experiences. We've heard a lot about stigma and how that comes from language used by researchers and healthcare professionals. So yeah, a bit of a personal investment in terms of already knowing a bit about it and then wanting to use get up on our soapbox um, and use this platform. Well, it sounds like you're both very well positioned to talk not only about the problem, but also to help raise awareness of the problem with the broader diabetes research community and the community beyond diabetes researchers as well. So let's begin by having you tell us what is the problem? Great question. Um, I guess there's two parts to it. Firstly, we think that uh, people with diabetes really are the experts on their condition. Um, healthcare professionals and, and researchers know a lot about the research and the healthcare side of things, but really we need to be involving people with diabetes in research about diabetes, but we're not. Yeah, exactly. I, th- I think that's a huge part of it that like, we want to we wanna involve people in, in the research we're doing, but a lot of the focus on our so to say on our research is on 
optimizing glucose values and kind of on on the treatment side of things or on on other aspects and I feel like the language is not something we've talked a lot about in in the type of of work we're doing and I think it it's an area where we can we can so to say really improve and where we can really make a difference like we we kind of distancing ourselves a bit from from the people with diabetes we're creating a bit of us versus them and we're not really so to say collaborating on like we all want to help people with diabetes but we sometimes forget who is kind of the the end user here and i think language is a huge opportunity to kind of like invite people in and use and including language in in the in the work we're doing and i think it's important to define what we mean by language here for people that might not be familiar with this language matters movement so there we're talking about the words we use about people with diabetes the words we use about diabetes and its complications um, as well as the words we use about management Um, And what we're seeing is that people with diabetes tell us that the healthcare professionals might use um, not inclusive language, stigmatizing language, language that's really disempowering for them. And and we know that in some research and, and, you know, published journals and whatever else that uh, researchers are continuing to use similar language too. So I guess we want to take this opportunity to advocate for use of better non-stigmatizing, inclusive language. Could you possibly give an example of the type of language that is not as favorable, uh, is, is stigmatizing? Because sometimes researchers or people in general have no uh, poor intention, but simply have chosen the wrong words without knowing and understanding what the consequences downstream would be. So an example would help. That's always a good place to start, I think. And I think it is important to note that we're, everyone is socialized into using perhaps outdated words and language. But in the context of research, I think a common one is talking about uh, research participants or study participants as subjects, mm-hmm. kind of implying that the people with diabetes that sign up to participate are just passively there having that study done to them as opposed to actively contributing and, and helping us. So so maybe it's good advice to think about it from putting yourself into the shoes of the person who is hearing exactly. the, the language. Mm-hmm. One of the facts that had surprised me um, when I read about your, your description of the problem is that people with diabetes actually have very little contact with their treating doctor and that they manage in a really independent way in the day-to-day care. And that day-to-day care could be quite complex. So I was extremely surprised by this and I wondered why this happens. Is, is, it, is it a purposeful choice on the side of the healthcare or on the side of the, of the person with the condition? I guess uh, what, what, I understand is the normal way of doing things is that a person with diabetes will go in for their maybe annual appointment or whatever other specialist appointment they might have one to two times a year perhaps, but in between they're dealing with diabetes minute to minute, um, which when you kind of think about the us versus them thing you were talking about, Ufa, the healthcare providers that are providing the expert care or us researchers that are talking about people with diabetes, 
we really should be using that minute-to-minute experience much more. We should be partnering with people with diabetes because, yeah, that's the way we can get to the heart of what they're experiencing and, and do the best for them. Ufa, you mentioned um, the focus on the treatment side mm. of diabetes. Should we be mindful of the preventive side when considering language? I think it's really important, like especially for like if you look at people with type two diabetes, there is sometimes this that it's your own fault. Like you, you've like it's your diet and it's like your own choices that had kind of left uh, or led to this. Um, and I, I think that's huge problematic. It's it really impacts on people's motivation to to so to say want to to change or be part of like they they feel like they it's something they've caused for themselves. And I, I think that's really problematic. And you sometimes see that division between people with type one diabetes and type two diabetes that the one with Taiwan, that because that's because of an autoimmune dis- uh, disease. It's not something they've done to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and even within the communities, you sometimes see that kind of conflict between them, which I think is is really problematic. And it's not easy being a person with diabetes and like being told that it's 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 kind of your own fault um, because it's not. There are so many factors that play into this and. I think that's really important. Like you, these people live with it for like every day of their life, and it's it's a huge impact. I think too, in terms of the preventative side of things, if someone um, knows that this condition is stigmatized by their community, um, they're less likely or willing to want to go to a consultation about that. And we've seen the research that diabetes language affects engagement with healthcare systems. Um, If people feel that they'll be stigmatized, they're not going to want to do that thing. So in that sense too, it could affect um, the extent to which people call on their doctors, report the difficulties they're having um, in disclosing some of that information or, yeah, attending follow-up appointments even. So... Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think the relationship between the between the person with diabetes and the clinician is is so important as you mm. said like we only have so much time together um like most of the time they're on their own and for the time that they're with their clinician if they if they don't get that connection with their healthcare um, provider that's that's something that impacts on their their own day-to-day care and like you like as research has shown like it impacts on people's glucose value so it, it's not just so to say um, words it's it's more than that mm-hmm. and i bet that there are aspects of this type of problem in people of all walks of life with all different conditions so those who are not necessarily even in the diabetes research field, there's a lot of relevance still here in thinking about language. Definitely, and kind of taking that person-first language as opposed to condition-first language perhaps is a good rule to apply in general. Um, yeah, I mean, this isn't exclusive to diabetes. You could apply this to nearly any health condition, psychiatric illness, Um whatever it might be. So it's actually, in a way, an efficient thing to change now and adopt in other areas as well. Collaboration among scientists, healthcare professionals and people with health conditions is essential for reducing the burden and impact of chronic conditions like diabetes. 
Citizen science is the involvement of non-scientists in scientific pursuits, and it is becoming increasingly popular. Citizen science lends itself well to diabetes research, because diabetes is a condition that is managed almost all the time by the person with diabetes. Therefore, many people with diabetes are experts on their condition, and they are the primary group to benefit from new discoveries, technologies, and interventions. The community of people with diabetes has substantial untapped potential to be involved with both setting the direction of scientific pursuits and disseminating new knowledge. Historically, this type of involvement has been limited, resulting in an us-versus-them culture that is less productive, even harmful. For example, people with diabetes report that healthcare professionals have taken an authoritarian approach to diabetes care, assessing the success of the person with diabetes in managing their condition by applying a failing grade to suboptimal biomarker levels without acknowledging the significant burden of managing the condition day in and day out. In addition, people with diabetes have often been left out of scientific meetings or discussions about the direction of new research. For scientists and healthcare professionals, a way to reduce the us-versus-them mentality and to increase collaboration is to develop skills in communication with and about people with diabetes. Language is a powerful tool for shaping attitudes and behavior. Changing how we as professionals communicate has huge potential for both improving the health outcomes of people with diabetes and for increasing their engagement in science and innovation. You mentioned you have some ideas I'm very anxious to hear about your solution. Yeah, but I I think kind of on a on an overall level it it sounds it sounds pretty simple, but our our overall solution is that we we should have a greater in, involvement of people with diabetes in in pretty much all part of of the science that we're we're conducting. Um and specifically one of the kind of key aspects that we see is that we we focus more on on language, language that is inclusive and non-stigmatizing and and empowering. So that's that's kind of the overall idea, and then we've we've so to say divided it into to three areas that we where we've so to say come with some specific solutions. So one or the first one is is kind of on the research design. I don't know if you want to take that one. Yeah. So um, in terms of research design, we had two main suggestions that we think people should consider doing. The first one is that we think grant funding agencies should include people with diabetes on their panels so that people with diabetes are directly involved in uh, deciding which projects get funded. Um, They can have direct input on what research they think is most important, whether those research questions are relevant and important to them. Um, And we know that some diabetes associations are already doing something like this. I think the Danish Diabetes Association already is, so Mm -hmm. others should follow suit. And then the second suggestion under this heading of research design is we think people should invite people with diabetes, sorry, researchers should invite people with diabetes to consult on their research. Um, And we think this should happen as early as possible. So as soon as that kind of key idea for a a project um, is in the works, 
uh, maybe they could have one person with diabetes consult or perhaps a group that forms a kind of advisory panel. And one key thing to note with all of that is that we think people with diabetes should be reimbursed for their time and kind of compensated for any travel expenses or whatever come up uh, for their participation. So that definitely needs to be factored into to funding. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then like the second kind of domain we've called uh, data collection, where we see that kind of in a similar way, but we can have advisory panels that, that can help consulting. So people with diabetes giving specific advices on, for example, a studies recruitment strategy, where and how can we make sure that we, we include a group of people that is representative. Um, and we really believe that involving people with diabetes to do this step is is a way to kind of make sure that we, we're not just targeting the most motivated people, but we try and, and make sure we, we include as diverse as possible. Um, then there is like specific um, details as well. They can be involved in, they, maybe they can share in their own communities about a new study. Uh, they might even like join in on writing a paper and a, ma- a manuscript or study material. Mm. So for example, we like we're used to writing participant information sheet we're sending out and getting specific advice on the language we're using or is this, so to say, feasible and, and acceptable for, for people with diabetes to be involved in? And I think there is a huge value in inviting people with diabetes or involving people with diabetes to 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 kind of design this. Mm-hmm. And then the final, the third and final kind of part of science that we think people with diabetes should be involved in, and I'm pretty passionate about this one, is the dissemination of research findings. And here we've got four suggestions. Um, So the first is we think that journal editors should include author guidelines um, on their journal web pages that encourage the use of this inclusive, non-stigmatizing language. And we know that certain journals are already doing that, but I think that that needs to become a more widespread thing. I think that journals are in a really good position to kind of change behavior in a way because you have to do certain things to submit an article. It needs to be a certain word count, all that sort of thing, but also it should have uh, inclusive language. Then we have got... um, Journals, we think, should request as part of the the journal submission process a plain language statement or summary of that work. So we already write up an abstract, but that's still very full of jargon and complex. And um, we think that there should be this very simplified plain language summary that could be openly accessible for people with diabetes and and other people that want to to access and read this research so that it can reach more people. Um, And then we thought that diabetes journals and conferences once again could kind of use their influence and circulate position statements on this inclusive language. So conferences could literally hand this out at the conference or circulate it prior to the conference electronically um, and diabetes journals can do something similar. Finally, we think that uh, conference organisers should invite people with diabetes to attend scientific conferences and also fund that as well. And I think there are already um, some initiatives happening in that way. I know that DDoc um, are doing lots of work to fund people with diabetes to attend the bigger conferences like um, ATTD. 
but uh, we think people with diabetes should be invited and have a main seat. They could give keynote speeches on their experiences or um, Q&A sessions so that we can kind of connect the bridge, I guess, between researchers and scientists and people with diabetes and have less of that us versus them. Yeah. So it sounds it sounds a lot to me that your solution, your, your multifaceted solution here, while it has the main goal of the language, it also goes deeper than that to engage people with diabetes more to break down this us versus them mm-hmm. barrier. Exactly. Yeah. I see this multifaceted approach and I and I wonder what do you feel out of here is the most feasible to tackle in the short term? In other words, where where would you where do you start? Well, I think one of the points that Hannah made, maybe regarding the journals, I, f- I feel mm-hmm. like it's it's really challenging to convince people why this is important, and I feel like the journals can be a huge factor here because. Either you agree and you just do it by yourself, but if there is a group who's not really, who don't see the potential of why they should change their language or why should we involve people with diabetes, if it's kind of put up as a requirement and journals, so to say, take the first lead or the first step and really emphasize this is important. And it's not just important like in, in the individual study, it's important across like all research and all the different parts of science. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's something that would motivate everyone. As you said, like there are other requirements when we when we submit our work, and if if this is a another extra requirement that that needs to be met, I think people will start recognizing it and and start okay, maybe this is important. It's not just something we say. I I agree. I think that one would make the biggest waves or um, bring about the biggest change. But I think in terms of um, in the short term as well, I wonder if researchers could start to think more about involving people with diabetes at the earlier stages of their research. And that can be done very easily. We've done that ourselves in our um, research with uh, public involvement, where we kind of just wrote a flyer, put ourselves out there and contacted people on Facebook and at the hospital. And people want to help people with diabetes is truly interested and curious about what is going on about them in in the research field. So um, I would definitely advocate for doing that. So you got responses to that. So it was time well spent for you. Yeah, plenty and had really kind of people from diverse backgrounds. And yeah, um, it was a lot of fun, actually. And for me personally, it, it kind of took me to the heart of what I'm doing for my PhD project. I actually connected with people with diabetes, whereas you could probably go along and do lots of research without ever actually speaking with someone with diabetes, Mm. which was interesting. Can I clarify here, when you're talking about research and engaging people with diabetes in it, are you thinking clinical research? Are you thinking basic research? Are you thinking all research well, I, I think personally, it's important to think it into all different types of of research. I think it's there's different ways depending on the area you're in. Uh, but I, I think there is always like I think one of our group members said that she 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 might see some difficulties exactly on what they can give feedback on. 
But at the same time, it was also really motivating for her to actually see my work make sense. Like it, in the end, it's going to be have an impact on a person with diabetes. My work is meaningful. And I think even just from that perspective, that's again like making this gap between us and, and them is, 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 is really useful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think it applies to everyone. Agreed. I think it's in clinical research, you're, I guess, a bit closer to the person with diabetes in a way compared to basic science, but there are still things um, that can be done in basic science. So maybe making your research accessible to people with diabetes um, and maybe those plain language statements about what your research actually means at the end of the day. Mm. I'd like to go back to what you mentioned as one of the most feasible starting points in a way. Um, And you began there with thinking about author guidelines from journals. And I wondered, how how does this work? What what would you do tomorrow if you could start this process? I think I think we've talked about before, it's not about reinventing the wheel here. There is stuff available that can be used and having that more accessible um, I I think can be an, an easy first step. So Sending that out to to journals or journals making sure that it's part of their their guidelines. So when you're looking about how, what length should my my manuscript be and like just making it available there, I think that's an easy first step. And I think one way practically to do that is, you know, advocates like us could literally contact journals and kind of say. Um, uh, we would suggest putting in one to two sentences that say something like, um, this journal prefers inclusive language such as, uh, um, we avoid terms such as, eh, and and giving links to position statements um, that have been published. Um, there is a recent 2021 position statement by Diabetes Australia, which gives a really um, clear overview of what is generally accepted or preferred by people with diabetes. Of course, it's going to change person to person. We should always check with their preferences, but it's a really good place to start to get a sense of what is more inclusive and, and yeah, more acceptable. Do you have any read on whether the journals would be receptive? I think there already is like journals who are doing this i know diabetic medicine is one of them who's like has put that up that they don't mm. they they write you shouldn't be using the term diabetic we we don't we don't like that terminology here so i think there already are journals who are like taking that first step mm-hmm. um and i think there is a willingness to do it but again it, it probably also depends a bit on the specific area you're working in i think that might vary a bit from from area to area yeah, and I, and I think just with anything when you're kind of calling people in or calling people out about inappropriate language, you should always kind of give a um, an explanation of why you think something should change. So perhaps when, when um, we're advocating to journals, we c- could say something like, we know that diabetes language directly impacts clinical outcomes and emotional well-being. So there's evidence here to suggest why we should do this. It's not just um, a couple of people saying that they think it should happen, but um, it could have huge consequences for the for the diabetes community. Yeah, the process may really just require some facilitation from the good examples that are out there, from the position statements that are out there, and bringing these things together. Mm-hmm. Takes Always takes people to mm-hmm. make, make things happen. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned Diabetes Australia, and uh, 
on the note of, of um, your solution and, and your further ideas, which I really appreciate hearing about, we talked with Renza Sibilia. Renza is a manager at Diabetes Australia in Melbourne. Uh, she's a health writer and a diabetes advocate and activist. She promotes this person-centered approach to healthcare and in the development of information and technologies. So we asked her about your solution, about what she thinks, and for any words of advice that she has for you. So let's listen to what she has to say. Yeah. So firstly, thank you. And how amazing is it that you're considering this at this stage? So I just have to say that it is truly, you know, it is truly heartwarming, but just so positive and so, um, oh gosh, it just gives me such hope, I guess, that this is, um, that, that, you know, that effective communication is seen as absolutely critical at this point, rather than it, being at the end where it's like, hang on a minute, maybe we're not doing a good, great job of actually, you know, making this relevant to people. Um, so that's my first thing. But but what I would say is, is you don't have to get it right all the time. You really don't. So don't be afraid to say, to ask people, look, this is what I'm trying to say. Is there a better way for me to say it? Or is, is this way of saying it likely to um, raise any red flags or make people not interested in participating or, um, you know, get people really upset and, and, and defensive about this research and the, the only way they're going to share it is to shame it, you know, online? Because unfortunately that, that's often, you know, what might happen if there is a hint from the community that there is, you know, stigmatizing language being used or something like that. Um, so don't be afraid to ask. It's better that you come and talk to people before you get to the stage where you let it set it free. Um, you know, it's just say, look, I, I need some help around this. And I get that all the time. I have people contacting me all the time to say, look, can you just read this little bit and just tell me, am I, is this going to be something that people will go, yeah, okay, I want to find out more? Or is it something people are going to say, seems totally irrelevant to me, I don't really care, or they don't understand what it's about? Or is it going to get people's you know, sort of really on heightened alert and unimpressed with it. So have those conversations early and frequently um, and, you know, that, that I think is just the absolute best way, best way forward. So in the short term, when co-designing anything, I would have people with diabetes as part of the beginning. So one of the things that's really important and that we find is this whole, um, that engagement piece is often such tokenism. And it comes at the point where people with diabetes are asked to could you provide some feedback on this for us when really what's about to happen is the print or the publish button are about to be pressed. Um, so really our influence to make any significant, you know, um, meaningful input into it or even change if there's something there that we don't think is particularly relevant, it's too late. It's just too late. 
So I think it's really important to think about how are we going to be recognising the expertise of those with lived experience? They, are, they, they need to be considered as part of the research team, absolutely part of the research team. Um, and because in a lot of instances people won't be working as researchers or necessarily working in the diabetes space, if you like, um, it means that they're needing to take time off from their studies or from their work. So they absolutely should be reimbursed for that expertise and that time. So yes, def- that, that's definitely part of, of the framework that when it's being developed that should be considered is how are we going to um, remunerate the people who we, we're using for this particular skill because you probably won't have it, have it elsewhere that you can turn to so it, it should be paid for um, but I would also consider you know if you're putting together a research project and you've got um, you know, a decent sized project where you've got different work packages, for example, um, making sure that there are people with diabetes involved in each work package is really important, I think, um, as well as having an overall patient advisory committee. Now, I have a love-hate relationship with patient advisory committees. I get all excited when I see that they're there um, and I absolutely hate them because it ends up being so often such tokenism. Um, And the reason is, is because you have a group of, I don't know, four, six people um, who you're expecting to uh, be able to talk right across the whole project, Um, where really what you need is you need to find people who have an interest and an expertise in every aspect of the project. So it's this is why I think people think that engagement at a really meaningful level is quite simple. You just bung in a couple of people with diabetes and you'll be fine. It's not. If you really want it to be meaningful, you've got to have people who have a real understanding of what's going on. So when they're providing that, you know, feed in and speaking about things, that they can speak about it with, you know, great authority from personal experience, but they can also then, they you know, they also feel that they are able to contribute in a way that, you know, they don't feel intimidated by the fact that there are people talking about stuff that makes absolutely no sense to them at all. So it is actually quite an involved, I guess, process that, that we need to think about. Um, it takes time and it takes money and it ta- takes effort. So that's why doing it properly, I guess, is so rarely done because, you know, th- there's always aspects of engagement that are done well and involving people with diabetes, but there's always bits that are not done all that well, um, unfortunately. Well, I saw lots of nodding <laughs> as you were listening. Uh, what crosses your mind after hearing Renza's words? Yeah, <clears throat> good question. I think the first thing is that she's saying you don't you don't have to get it all right all the time, and I think that's that's a really important thing here. Like, I think you can have the best intention, but we all like will make keep making errors. We will keep making like using wrong language and and so on. But uh, it's more about that. We really try. We make an effort, and I think that's an important, an important statement from her that we try our best. But of course, we'll we'll have some like we'll make some mistakes uh, down the track. Mm. Yeah, and I think for people listening that might find this all a bit, you know, we're trying to be so PC now. Um, it's not about that. It's about making the effort to be inclusive so why wouldn't we do that if we can so I thought that was really reassuring though because even as we prepare for these things there's always the concern that maybe 
our understanding of what's good language in quotation marks is the best or whether that's shifted or we need to update our own um, understanding of that. Yeah, exactly. When I was talking with Renza, one of the main points that I got from what she was saying was uh, about seeing people with diabetes as an expert and having expertise and bringing them in as a team member. So that pushes the interdisciplinarity of the research teams. So we think about the value of the expertise, just like we would think of the value of anyone's scientific expertise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's kind of something we're big fans of too, is that, um, we actually suggested that to a couple of people at a recent conference we were at that people with diabetes should be co-authors. They should be on par with us as contributing to this piece of work that came from what they did with us. Is there any aspect of your solution that you might change as a result of hearing what Renza had to say? Um, I, I think one of the challenges I really saw was finding like... I sometimes feel like it's very motivated people that gets involved in your work. But I think what she's kind of saying is that you also need to find relevant people who has mm. like a real understanding of, of what is going on. And I think that's a really good point that you shouldn't just find any random person with person with diabetes. It's also, it needs to be an area that they might have a certain interest in or have some sort of expertise in. And I think that's a really interesting point that it's, there's more to it than just making sure it's, it's representative, but it also needs, like, again, if we want to include people in it, it shouldn't, like, it should be something that that person also can see themselves in. And I think that's a, an interesting point. That struck me too. And, and um, that it doesn't necessarily have to be the same person or group of people doing everything for the entire life cycle of the research project, but rather participating in what they want to and what experiences they that are relevant to them. Um, and in that way, uh, reducing the chances of it being a tokenistic thing. And it made me think about basic science. And, you know, if you listen to this podcast and then think, how can I apply it? Don't just do the different things because we've said them. Really think about what's going to be meaningful to your particular project and people with diabetes. Um, because, yeah, at the end of the day, you want it to be a meaningful thing and not just a tokenistic involvement of people with diabetes. No, exactly. I, I thought about the same one, like when when we talked about journals could try and implement this. It shouldn't just be a tick box mm. that's like ticked off. It, it needs to be more than that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that's, that's a huge challenge. Like if people can't see the meaning of it, it's really hard to kind of, yeah. Mm. To, to not make it tokenistic. That's a good point. It's more of an approach than a yeah tick, pocket, mm -hmm. tick box exercise. Yeah. Oh, that's a great point to make. Well, as we come to a close for today, I have two final questions for you. What is the most valuable thing you learned from this challenge at the Winter School? Hmm. I think for me, it's putting things in a, in a concrete way so that if you have a quick conversation with someone about language matters and why language matters, they could walk away from it and do something differently. Um, because if we kind of keep it at this abstract level or maybe very feelings and emotions-based conversation about it, people might not know what to do with that or how they could um, do something differently differently or, or change their behavior and attitudes. So 
that's what I would recommend, some really concrete suggestions. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think one of the really valuable things that I saw was that we were such a diverse group of researchers sitting together. And I think that was really interesting to kind of hear someone working in a completely different field and seeing like where I was maybe struggling a bit to see how is this necessarily relevant for them. They had like they had seen it themselves as well. And I think that was really really valuable and interesting and like when you asked the question before like it does it make sense in all aspects of research or different disciplines within science i i definitely think it does and i think that's because we had this group of of people with very different backgrounds so i think that was a huge yeah a huge help to to mm -hmm. reflect a bit more on that first-hand experience mm -hmm. yeah can sometimes be the easiest teacher mm -hmm. and what is one thought that you would like to leave listeners with today I think for me, it's that using inclusive and non-stigmatizing language doesn't take more time. It saves time. Um, and why be offensive when you can be inclusive? It's it's our responsibility to do that and, and change the way we do things. Absolutely agree. And I think generally just being open. I feel like sometimes we we put a bit of barrier up in front of us where it's like, well, it's not offensive to me, so why it's offensive for others? And I think we need to be open and just accept that we are, we're different. And if this is something that's really meaningful for others, it might not be meaningful for you. I think that's that's really important to, to consider. Hanna and Ufa, thank you so much for sharing all of your thoughts and for sharing your solution and, and ideas for the practical implementation of it. It's been really great having you here with us today. Thank you. Thank it's you been so fun. much. I'm really looking forward to seeing where the challenge takes you and I wish you all the best. Thanks. Thank you. You can find additional information about the Winter School and the topic of our show at danishdiabetesacademy.dk That's Danish Diabetes Academy Dot DK. Many thanks to the Academy for giving postdocs the winter school and for giving us the opportunity to challenge ourselves. The Academy is a national platform aimed to strengthen basic and clinical diabetes research in Denmark by enhancing the quality of research education through training the next generation of leaders in science. The Academy operates thanks to funding from the Novo Nordisk Foundation since 2012. This has been the first episode of Postdocs Talking. Stay tuned for our next episode when we take up the challenge of what makes the world go round. Our program today has been produced by the podcast agency Context and Lude. I'm Gretchen Rapaski, and we'll be back with more Postdocs Talking. Thanks for listening.